Occasionally an interviewee will have to change locations during the course of an interview. This may mean there's a change in sound quality as a person moves from one space to another. That has happened during this podcast. Today my guest is Joanna Lily Wong. Joanna is a creative force. Trusting her talent and instincts, she has moved across the country and through the worlds of fashion, publishing, and real estate development and design. Driven by a deep sense of integrity and an endless desire to innovate, create, and learn, she's taken risks and found success in professions in which many attempt and fail. Joanna, it has been extraordinary to watch your career evolve. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. We met when you were working in New York as a stylist. So let's begin there. What drew you to Manhattan and the fashion industry? Um, so I actually, uh, this is going to make me sound even uh, more schizophrenic and <laughs> crazy, but I, so I actually have a degree in international relations studying China. Actually, when I graduated, my mother suggested to me, because I always really liked playing with makeup. Even when I was a kid, I was doing this. If you ask any of my friends growing up, I was always doing them up and taking their photo and wanting to be a fashion photographer. I loved the whole transformation process. But so when I was graduating, I remember I was walking with my mom and she's always been very encouraging of my sister and me to follow our dreams and to, to learn a lot and just have adventures in general. And she suggested that I go to Paris and go to makeup school. And I remember thinking, well, why the heck not? Like, okay. <laughs> and I, I don't think that she ever thought that I would take it as far as I did. I think she just thought it would just be this fun little one-time thing. And I would come back and then use my degree to work for the UN or something, <laughs> which obviously didn't happen. But I went to Paris and then I wound up staying there for two years. And then when it was time to come back to the States, I it was obvious that New York was going to be the choice. New York was just the, the center of fashion. And my sister was also living there at the time. So that's why I came back. Amazing. And how did you get started in the city then? It's not an easy business. So <laughs> actually, one of the first jobs that I ever got was through you. Um, <laughs> So I, I had met Joelle Truizzi, who was a cinema makeup artist. And I had met her through like a friend of a friend, my sister or something like that. And she referred me to you. I had been only living in New York for a few months, I think. And I remember walking down Fifth Avenue and I was with my friend at the time. And I got the call and I think it was from you. And you, you offered me this job doing makeup for the photo shoots for the students at Parsons. Right. And I remember I hung up the phone and I was so excited. I was like <laughs> jumping up and down on the street. <laughs> oh my God, like, I just got a job. <laughs> and I think it was either $150 or $300. Most likely it was like $150. It was $150 for the day. Yeah. <laughs> And I was like, and they're gonna pay me $150. I was like, yes. Like, I can't believe it. Like, I'm off to a great start, like here in New York City. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> I was like total newbie. I mean, I had I had done stuff in Paris, but I was really new to New York. So, and I had I had done film work, but not a ton of photo shoots. So that's my little funny story about how I. <laughs> 
<laughs> one of my first jobs in New York. <laughs> that's so funny. And Joelle had talked you up. I just thought you'd been working, and that's so amazing. Now you find out, like, 15 years later, I was, like, totally busy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I was, I was doing some shoots for you, and then I also I started assisting people. Fashion, that's generally how you get started, is you assist somebody that's more established. And so I was cold calling a lot of the agencies, being really annoying and just very aggressive and you know eventually they would call me and I think I did a few jobs for free and then eventually started getting paid for it. It wasn't much money at all, but assisting definitely got me really deep in the fashion industry. And then eventually I started getting my own clients and I started developing my own relationships with the photographer assistants and the people on site or on now on, on shoots. Now I'm saying sites because I'm in construction sites on um, photo shoots and it just went on from there. And you worked with some amazing people. Yeah, I worked with really amazing photographers. I mean, when I was an assistant, one of my most routine shoots that I did, and also most memorable, were Bruce Weber's Abercrombie shoots, which were amazing because he shoots in a way that's totally different from other photographers. He shoots film and nothing is really planned out. It's all very organic, very cinematic. So I feel very, very blessed to have been able to work on those shoots. And, you know, I've, I've been on an Anna Leibowitz's shoots and, you know, all the, all the big names. And it was, it was super fun. It was really glamorous and fun. It's amazing. And at that time, you created or you were the creative director for a magazine called Maker Magazine? I was a makeup artist for a long time, but I always felt more of a creative director. Like I always felt like I had more things that I wanted to influence and create rather than just this small part of doing the makeup and the hair. And uh, basically, it was a bunch of young ambitious women sitting around my apartment and we all decided to do this arts magazine it was a side project we all had regular jobs you know i was working in fashion another friend was working as a designer it was just the magazine was like this really fun side outlet and we never planned to make a lot of money from it it wasn't about that it was it was really just about creativity and meeting other like-minded people and helping to show their work. Okay, Ed, I want to read the magazine description because I think it's interesting. Maker Magazine is an arts and culture magazine based in New York City that highlights the creative mind and spirit. It started as a project to represent non-commercial projects of artists we knew and admired and a feature of the creator as much as the creation. One summer, my friend, Maker's editor-in-chief, brought up the idea of doing this small magazine. We just dove in, and the concept grew and grew. We didn't know what we were getting ourselves into, and suddenly we found ourselves with a 270-page magazine. I don't know how we did that, or it just it just happened. I, and I, I think we were all so excited about it and passionate, and we all had so many ideas and people we wanted to showcase and incorporate. It just... Yeah, it just wound up being a full-on magazine. Yeah. What did you learn from that project or process? How hard it is to start <laughs> to start a magazine, <laughs> and also the importance of a good team. I think, especially in the creative fields, there are a lot of creative people, but not a lot of creative organized people. 
and dependable creative people. I mean, something like a magazine, there are so many factors and elements and deadlines to accommodate. And so you really need to have a strong team that works very efficiently and start to really appreciate the the workers you know you can really depend on. And you decided to leave New York for San Francisco and the goal was to open a boutique hotel. That's a big step that most people wouldn't take. So what drove that choice and were you nervous about the change and leaving this career you'd built? I was not nervous about it, but I, everything in my life with really big moves, I'm never scared. It's almost like I'm missing a screw or something. I just don't have that fear that most people have. And I think partially that has to do with me having gone through a lot of changes and and moved a lot and spent time in foreign countries where I didn't know the language and I just had to land on my feet somehow and figure it out. So I've always just felt that I was going to be okay. Like I'm a problem solver. And so whatever happens, I know I'm going to figure it out. So I never was scared about it. And I had just, I don't know, I, I reached a point with the fashion industry where I realized that You know, it was so fun and so glamorous and just I loved all the stimulation, but I knew that when I was going to be 65 years old, I didn't want to be lying around the world with a suitcase full of makeup, hanging out with 16-year-old Russian models. Like, I just (laughs) couldn't see the future, and I knew that that's not what I wanted. So, and once I've made up my mind, it's kind of like, well, why waste time? Let's just jump in and like, let's do it. Let's take the steps to get to that next place. It was hard making that transition. It wasn't uh, easy, but I've always learned the best by sink or swim. And I just know that if I jump into something, I know I'll always, I'll always swim. So the hotel didn't happen. And you ended up purchasing and renovating a property on your own and then created your own design firm. Can you tell me how that happened? So, yeah, I now have my own company, Innate. With this company, I'm doing my own development projects, but then I also have client work. And my unconventional background, you know, I didn't go to design school. I'm not an architect. I don't come from a family of, you know, contractors. Like, I have a very different background from most people doing what I'm doing, but it's actually been really, really helpful because I'm this like melting pot of all of these different skills. I have my real estate license from all of my years of traveling and being in the most beautiful homes and hotels for shoots and just understanding light and texture and color and proportions and all that. It's the same fashion. It's very similar to um, interior design. It's just a different language. And I think that's why a lot of uh, people in fashion actually transition into interior design. So with my company, I provide all of the services that I've done for myself as a real estate developer and designer, but I'll do that for other people. And so I also incorporate feng shui into my practice. So it's this really wonderful, beautiful, useful melting pot of services that I can provide for other people and help them with their own home design. Looking at your projects, light and palette seem to create an important role in your design and your spaces seem to breathe. Are those two of the signatures of your design work? Oh gosh, it's so interesting that you say that because 
I've never, people often ask me what my signature is and I have a hard time pinpointing that, but maybe that's what it is. It's I want to be able to breathe. And I'm always, that's really interesting you say that because often when I'm in a space that I don't like, I always say, I feel like I can't breathe. And hmm. that's what I don't like about it. So maybe that is my signature. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think that uh, for me, I mean, every project is so different. It depends on the shell of the home, the client, the locale, if it's, you know, at the beach or if it's in the mountains. But what I always carry from project to project is the incorporation of psychology. It's always about making the best quality life possible for the person who's going to live in that space. I've never been interested in creating a museum type of house or just a house that's pretty to look at. I really want people to feel good in it. And so what someone, a space that somebody may feel good in, somebody different might not feel good in. So it's very customized to whoever I'm working with. And I never want it to be about me. I always want it to be about them. And I really do think that creating a beautiful home and, and nice surroundings, it can really, really affect your mood and your behavior. So psychology, maybe, as that can be, can that be my signature? <laughs> Could be. Psychology, I don't know. <laughs> I, maybe I'll use yours more. I, I like spaces that can breathe. <laughs> Well, and you created a lot of green space and a lot of light. I think that adds to the feeling. Do you strip it down and create it from stud all the way to the details? Are you involved in interior design as well? Yeah, so I do everything, everything. I mean, with the development projects, those have all been gut renovations. So, and a lot of them are historical. So we leave the outside and restore any siding or, you know, replace any windows and pine. But the interior is completely redone. So I'll do the floor plans. I'll do all the finishes. It's everything, everything, furnishings, and it's it's all all the nitty gritty. So it's it's a lot. And so for the development projects, I do everything, everything, everything. For the client work, it just depends on what people want me for. Some people want me just for the furnishings. Some people want my guidance because they have a project that's similar to my development projects, where it's starting from, you know, a really dilapidated house and they're completely redoing it. So every project's a bit different. Okay. You like to shop on Etsy. So do some of those unique pieces end up in your project? Yeah, I, I love Etsy. I'm obsessed with Etsy. And actually at the moment, I'm designing a coffee table from this young man that I found in Texas on Etsy. And then he's doing a custom design for me. I like Etsy because, I mean, you do have to search a lot, but I've gotten pretty good at it now. And I feel like even the way that artists portray themselves on their profile or even the pictures that they choose, I feel like I can tell whether or not their aesthetic matches mine. And so a lot of times I'll find artists on Etsy and have them custom make projects for me. So I'm pretty particular about what I'm looking for and what I want. So I'll look at their previous work and I'll be able to tell from the photos if they can create what I'm seeing in my head. Now, you said that you have a short attention span and get bored if you're not learning anything new or feeling creatively stimulated. So what's next? I'm really fortunate that I'm in an industry that has so much to teach. I want to take a plumbing class. I want to take an electrician's class. I'm currently enrolled in an advanced feng shui for architecture course from a teacher in UCLA. 
it's just never ending. And I, fortunately, I don't see an end anytime soon or me getting bored with this industry. Yeah. And, and then there's like whole building, eco building, even using like shipping containers. I mean, there's so much going on in the design world in that aspect that it's, it's really exciting. And at this point, I've learned that I can't predict where I'm going to wind up because <laughs> I just wind up, you know, in a lot of unexpected places. So I'm just excited to be um, learning a lot and feeling really stimulated. You're really generous with the things you learn and well, you've designed projects worth tens of millions of dollars. But you've also given away a lot of that information on Instagram, which I think is admirable. But what drives you to do that? Why do you share? Most people keep those secrets, you know? Yeah, I think that if you if you keep secrets, you're only dripping yourself. Because it's like, how do I say this? It's like you're limiting your own knowledge. If you give your knowledge away, then that that makes you more open to receiving other knowledge. I don't know how to say this. Um, the, and the actually, I have this, this story. So when I was living in Paris and I was... Um, I was striving to become a makeup artist. It's very new. And I met this girl at a party. Her name was Martina Dukes. And she was a much more established makeup artist than I was. She was about the same age. But I remember telling her that I wanted to be a makeup artist. And she she gave me a rundown of like how to do it and who to talk to and gave me really good advice. Like she was so open about it. And in that industry, it's really competitive. It's uh, very, very competitive and very kind of, you know, backstabby. And I just remember being so touched that she was so open with me. It was just no skin off her back. She was confident enough in her own status that she could share the information with me. I probably shouldn't reach out to her about this and like tell her how she really affected me because I really carry that on into the rest of my my working career about everything i just i think it's really important to share knowledge and um there's just no point in keeping things to yourself she'd probably appreciate that actually yeah <laughs> how have you evolved personally and professionally over the course of your career let me think about this i think i've gained a lot more confidence in myself in the beginning of my time in this field, because I didn't have that formal experience, I was looking at how other people were doing everything and how their processes were and what their styles were and their perspective. And I still really value other people's opinions, but I now have more confidence in my own intuition. And so if sometimes there's a there's a way that I want to do something, but it's not a way that's been done before or that I've seen other people do it, I now have the confidence to move forward in that direction and just know that it's really all about following my own intuition. And is that applied to your career in general? I would say yes. When I look back on it, my career has definitely not been... It definitely has not been a tidy step-by-step -step movement. <laughs> it's been all over the place, but it's worked out for me. And I'm actually glad that you point this out because now when I look back and I realize all the times that I said, forget what everybody else is doing and what everybody else says, and just I just did what I wanted to do and just followed my own gut. 
I think that that's when I became the most successful. That's great. So what is one thing you've learned along the way? One thing that I've learned is how, I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm like tooting my own horn too much here, but just how much I'm capable of. Because, and, and I, it's actually not even just me, but everybody and anybody. Um, I think that we're all capable of making big career changes and can go from something like being a makeup artist to a multi-million dollar real estate developer and interior designer. Like that's a huge jump, but I've done that and I'm 36. Like it didn't take, it, it, you know, it took a few years, of course, but it didn't take, you know, decades to get there. And it's not that I think uh, that I'm better than anybody else, but I think I have less fear. And so if people had less fear, then they would be able to make the transitions that they want to make too. So I think that that's something that I've, what, what I really have learned is just, yeah, confidence in myself and just knowing that anybody can do anything. That's really what I believe. It's just a matter of, of focus. Focus, believing in yourself. I think that lack of fear is essential. Yeah, yeah. And also a lot of people have a formal background or they have a lot of work experience, but they still are afraid to go out and do things on their own and create their own venture and, and forge their own way. So, And I think a lot of people choose to spend a lot of time in school because it feels very safe. But I think that the only way to obliterate fear is to just do what you're scared of. Then you'll realize that it wasn't so scary after all. And then that gives you more courage to take on more in the future. Yeah, I think every success you have emboldens you to achieve exactly. future success. Exactly, right? yeah. And what personal characteristic do you most attribute your success to? Fearlessness. <laughs> For sure. Because <laughs> I mean, it's I'm not afraid of failing, but I think I'm more afraid of regrets. And I'm afraid of not doing the things that I dream of or the things that I'm curious of. And so that really pushes me to just go for it. And I also am able to look back at any so-called failures and realize how those quote-unquote failures brought me to another place and brought me to a better place. So it's almost like I don't even really believe in failure because everything is meant to be the way it's meant to be and it all brings you to a better place. I'm an optimist and I guess I just I feel like everything's always going to work out so I'm kind of fearless in that way. <laughs> what do the people around you feel about that your attitude the risks you take? They, well, <laughs> I, the thing is, is sometimes I don't understand that other people don't have that fearlessness. So I can be kind of like pushy with my friends or family or my loved ones. I'm like, just do it. I know you can do it. Forget it. You know, you don't need to be scared of anything. Of course you're going to succeed. But they're like, well, Joanna, you know, like not everybody's like that. And I think maybe a flaw of mine is that I'm not very empathetic towards people who are very uh, fearful because I, I don't have that. That makes complete sense. It's hard when people limit themselves just because of their personal inhibitions or fears yeah. of what I things I consider irrelevant but are very real to them. Yeah, and I believe that people have such enormous capacities to do so much 
And I feel like the majority of people are just selling themselves short because they don't believe in themselves. Yeah. And I, I do meet a lot of people for whom living outside their boundaries scares them so much. Mm-hmm. The unknown or the unpredictable is just beyond, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but beyond their ability to comprehend. Yeah, it's, it's a comfort thing. And I, I do think that for me, I'm highly influenced by my parents who are immigrants. And they came here to the States with absolutely nothing. And they've just had a very assertive way of just a- approaching life and career. Recently, I, my husband and I were talking about moving to Portland. And I thought that that was going to happen. And it was a really big deal to me. And I called up my mom and I thought she was going to be upset because I was leaving California and I was going to be away from family. But she was like, oh, you should just do it. Why not? You know, life is so short. Who knows if I'll be in California? Maybe I'll move to Portland too. And, you know, why not just experience it? And you're so young. And and that's the attitude that my parents have always had. So I do think that that really influenced me in terms of my approach towards work to just follow my own intuition. And you trust your instincts as a general rule? I do. I really, really follow my instincts. And that's a big part of why my company is called Innate. So it's a spin on the word innate with an I. And I just remember lying in bed and I remember just thinking, I really feel like if I follow my own innate path, that's all that matters. And that's what's going to bring me the most success. Because every time I've tried to force myself to be something that I wasn't or try to be like somebody else, it just, it never worked. Do you think not having an education in this field has benefited you in some way? I definitely do think it's been beneficial in a lot of ways because I think outside the box. And as an example, there was a certain project that I was, um, you know, the budget was very tight. And so we couldn't hire an architect and structural engineer and just like designer. This was in the beginning of my career before I was kind of doing all of this myself. But this architect I met said, you need to have an architect project managing all this and you need to have an architect for this and that and for doing these drawings and the kitchen drawings. And it was very rules oriented. And this is the certain way that you're supposed to do it. But you know, it's been years since then and I'm totally not doing it the way that he said it at all. It's fine, it's totally great. And actually I've been able to streamline processes. I've been able to run a tighter budget and I just figured it out on my own and just problem solved on my own. And I think if somebody had been ramming into my head for years while I was in school, this is the way you do it, then I would have had a really hard time breaking out of that. And what personal characteristic do you most attribute your success to? Fearlessness is definitely the most influential characteristic in myself. I know now that any quote unquote failure I have isn't really a failure and it's always going to bring me to someplace better or bring me to another place where I'm I'm learning more. So I I just I think feeling that way towards failure um really helps me try new things and um just not not be so hard on myself. Did that fearlessness allow you to make the leap from being a makeup artist to renovating multi-million dollar homes? Yeah, for sure. And so this is a perfect example is 
I, so I, I left makeup to go into the hotel business. I really, I, you know, I was doing an online course in like hospitality management. And, um, I thought that this, that this is what I was going to do. And I was possibly going to get my MBA. Um, and then I got into it and I realized that hospitality management isn't what I wanted to do. And um, when I moved to San Francisco, I wound up getting a job in um, construction and real estate development rather than a hotel job. So, I mean, you could see it as like I failed at getting a hotel job in San Francisco because I did apply for some and I didn't get hired, but <laughs> I got a job elsewhere. But that in turn, just it just tweaked my path a bit. And now I'm really, really happy where I am. And um, I would love to design a hotel someday, but I'm pretty sure I never want to be actually managing a hotel. And how does the, your fearless approach affect the people around you in your life? I think if there's some room for improvement for me, it's that I could have more empathy towards people who are a little scared to leave their box. And, you know, I know it's really comfortable in there, but I, I see my loved ones and I'm always so enthusiastic about their skills and their capabilities. And I just believe that they can do anything. And so I want them to just reach for their dreams and just go for it and just do things fast. Not, but not everybody functions like me. <laughs> and so I have to try to be a little more understanding towards that. So I, I think that um, it's something that people around me, of course, they appreciate in me and I think it's been really fun for them to see me grow and evolve and to be honest at this point I feel like I could do anything I mean I could who knows maybe 20 years from now I won't want to be doing this anymore maybe y'all want to go into like botany or something and I'll figure it out I, I just I know I'll figure it out if I just focus and put some time into it again I don't think that I'm anything special I think everybody ha is so multifaceted and I just want everybody to recognize that in themselves you've had success what does it take to stay relevant in a creative field I think it you have to be flexible because life changes processes change styles change technical approaches change. I think just being able to go with the flow. I I think the enemy of creativity is being stagnant and um, not being open-minded. And I, I, here's the other thing is I think it's really important to listen to other people, observe what's going on and listen, follow your own path, but still absorb the information that's around you and be flexible and go with the flow because if you don't, then you're just going to be left behind. So one last question. What advice would you give to someone who has the desire to step out on a new career path and who would like to create a career based on the things they love and believe in? Um, don't think too much. Because if you, if you think too much, you'll just be sitting there thinking, 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 and you won't be doing anything. And we learn the most from doing and most of the things that we think about happening are just speculation and they're not going to happen. So just take one step and just, just, you know, just experiment, just get your toe wet and just get in there and take it from there. Cause there's just, there's no point in just thinking, thinking, thinking that's, that's the problem with a lot of people. Perfect. Thanks, Joan. I appreciate your taking the time to chat. That's been amazing. Thank you for listening. I hope that you join us next time on Thomas Werner Podcast.